2014 will go down as the warmest year around the globe in recorded history. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate is a great concern. And what do you want that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Friends, welcome to Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate. You all came out. This is delightful. Uh, who was at the other RMIT event just before this one? Three of you. Okay, well, we won't compare. I'm sure it was a great event. Uh, <laughs> thank you for putting it on RMIT. Uh, now, tonight, uh, this is Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate. We've still got a couple of people straggling in. Uh, and that's really about humanity, isn't it? Late to everything, including the climate crisis. Now, for the, uh, tonight, we are in partnership. Sci-Fi is in partnership with RMIT. And we're here as part of the Sustainable Living Festival. Can I have a woo for the Sustainable Living Festival? Yes, I can. Good. Uh, now, for those who've not been to a sci-fi before, basically what we do tonight uh, is that we get together the sharpest minds in the fields of science and comedy and we make them debate critical issues in a stupid way, mainly by attacking each other. It's a bit like the Country Women's Association, but with less raw, cutthroat ambition. My name's Atlanta. Uh, I'll be your host and adjudicator. Tonight's my job to keep this whole thing on course and out of court, so wish me luck. Uh, and to mark Climate Emergency Month, uh, we thought we would debate the topic that's playing on all of our minds. Is it time to stop doing whatever we're doing and, and just panic? Just panic. As a species, we have looked into the face of death so many times. Like, there was that ice age 40,000 years ago, that was cold. And then there was the Y2K bug, uh, which threatened to replace all of our ones with zeros. Like, that was quite scary. And then we had jeggings. <laughs> no one was prepared for jeggings. But we made it out alive. And <laughs> I do enjoy some of the older members of the audience are explaining to their colleagues what jeggings are. So jeans and leggings combined. It's the worst of both of them. <laughs> We can talk more about jeggings afterwards if anyone has any more questions. Now, we're in the midst of a climate emergency, uh, one that we knew was coming for over 50 years. Uh, but is this the emergency that we had to have? You know, is humanity at its best when everything is at its worst? It's in our nature as humans to leave absolutely everything to the last minute, whether it's smashing out an essay or doing your tax return or saving the planet, are we going to do what we always do, which is just skull a coffee and pull an all-nighter to reverse climate change? <laughs> Probably not, because the coffee plantations have been destroyed. So <laughs> there's that. 
Or have we left this truly too late and there's nothing we can do now but panic? To resolve this dilemma, we reached out to some of the finest minds of our generation to solve it for us, but they've all left for their bunkers in Tasmania. So these guys had nothing on. Would you make some noise for the affirmative as I welcome them to the stage? Professor Sarah Beckersey, Rowan Long, and Alistair Baldwin, and the team telling you not to worry and to learn to love the bomb's terrifying weather forecasts. It's Nick Brown, Vicha Rajan, and Joshua Ladgrove. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for getting here. And being part of this ridiculous event. We'll, we'll check in with our debaters, check they're all here and happy and accounted for. We'll, we'll kick off with you first, Sarah, if you want to grab that microphone. Welcome. Thank you for being part of Sci-Fi tonight. Uh, pleasure, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you what your greatest fear for how tonight might go is. You know, I'm pretty competitive. Uh-huh. So you're just worried about losing. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you are happy that you win as long as you prove that it's time for us all to panic. I know, it's a terrible thing really, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> victory is sweet, irrespective of the uh, circumstances it comes by. Welcome, thank you for being part of tonight. We'll go to Rowan. Hi, Elena, how are you going? Oh, that's loud. This is your second uh, sci-fi, welcome back. Still haven't worked out how to use the mics. <laughs> now, you're our resident birder tonight. Uh, what is new in the world of birds? There's a, a cool thing going on at the moment that out in Werribee, there is a mystery duck which defies identification. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Nobody knows what it is, and probably no one will ever know what it is, and I find that fascinating. It doesn't make me want to panic. I don't think it's related to climate change, but it, I do like talking about mystery ducks. If we can't know the identity and motivations of our ducks, what can we know about the world? Exactly. It's kind of quietly chilling. <laughs> that might be the first sign of the apocalypse. Yes, I, I hope not. Uh, thank you so much, and welcome back. Have a good night. Uh, Alistair, we'll check in with you. Hi there, how are you, Atlanta? I'm very good, thank you for, for asking. No one else did. <laughs> well, <laughs> I value you as an adjudicator and presumably you tell who wins. I do. <laughs> I do. I love your suit. Thank um, you. You look nice tonight. Uh, when I walked in, the security guard saw me and thought I was also the security guard. <laughs> and then we had to debate who was actually going to host the debate. <laughs> Uh, so he's going to take over halfway through. So that should be good. Alistair, I didn't ask you a question. You, you debated at high school, didn't you? I did. You did. What from your high school days of debating are you bringing onto the stage for tonight's debate? Uh, well, doing high school debating, I learnt that it's not about what you say uh, or how you say it, <laughs> but just kind of projecting the kind of enigmatic solitude of a mysterious duck to <laughs> <laughs> draw people in. Alistair, yeah. are you the mystery duck? <laughs> Let me answer that question with a question. <laughs> no? <laughs> we'll get back to you on that one halfway through the debate. Uh, let's welcome the negative. Nick, hello. Hello. Oh, you turned the mic on. Very good. Now, you're our resident engineer uh, yes. tonight. Was that useful in preparing for the tonight's debate? Well, I do talk a little bit about engineering in the... In the topic, because uh -huh. I think they were a pretty rational group, I okay. guess. Yep. I, I don't know if that will help or not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so using logic and reason. Yeah, again, which, again, I don't know if that's going to help, uh, <laughs> because, yeah. Well, you're up against a mystery duck, so uh, I wish you luck with that. We're going to throw to Vidya. Hi. Hi, Vidya. Hello. 
Now, we, this is a question I often ask people when I meet them for the first time. <clears throat> what special skills will you bring to the apocalypse? Thank you for that question. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people would think that I'd be incredibly useless in the apocalypse because I don't really have any skills right now. <laughs> but I actually feel like the apocalypse is a time for us to rethink what we think of as useful skills. Uh -huh. And so, like, my ability to make content, <laughs> like, I think that's what we'll need when there's, like, nothing else happening. Right, okay. Um, so I think, yeah, I'll just disrupt the apocalypse. <laughs> I wish you luck with your disruption. <laughs> Uh, we'll throw to Josh. Hello. Good evening. Welcome. Thank you kindly. It's so good to have you here. Likewise, it's a pleasure to have found out about this a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> On that topic, uh, what's your personal relationship with panic? Well, you know, I, I think it's important in all situations, structured or unstructured, or, you know, let's say, theoretically, you only found out a few days ago you were participating in, in a live debate, and let's say you wrote a, you know, speech, and then didn't bring it. Okay. Well, one might panic, <laughs> but one, one might use the faculties at his or her disposal <laughs> to think no. Panicking will only get me so far. And uh, I have an ex-girlfriend. Uh -huh. her, her name is Rachel. Is this still hypothetical? Or are we... <laughs> we moved on. At this stage, I forgot what your question was. But, <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we don't go out. It's my fault. And she, her nickname for me was Good in a Crisis Josh. Okay. As you can see, I've just dressed myself <laughs> and I think I've done a sterling job. So You, you look excellent. Thank Thanks. you very much. I, I, I was also an engineer. Oh, really? Were you an engineer also? <laughs> oh, right on, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll leave that team to figure out who each other are. Now, uh, we know that we have more fun with some rules, so here are the rules for tonight's debate. Now, it should be a civilised debate. Please, uh, to the debaters, sling objections, not things you'll regret in the morning, assuming there is a morning tomorrow, depending on who wins. Uh, this is a reminder to both teams not to defame the opposition. It's too much paperwork. Uh, now, each debater has eight minutes. Uh, third speakers have ten minutes to panic on stage to get their point across and then sit down. If people go longer than that, I will begin this barely perceptible existential scream. <laughs> and then it's just going to escalate until the debater gets off the stage and anyone who wasn't already panicking is... It's good. At the end of the debate, the audience, you that's you, that's you, all of you, will be called on to decide which of our debating teams was the better one. And you were doing that by making noise for both teams. Uh, my ears are the scientific instrument we'll use to determine the winner. It's not a perfect system and no, I'm not changing it. So, okay, so let's kick off with the debate. Our first debater tonight is uh, Professor Sarah Beckersey. She's an Australian interdisciplinary conservation scientist with a background in conservation biology and experience in social sciences planning and design. She's been teaching in sustainability and urban planning at RMIT since 2004. Would you make some noise for Professor Sarah Beckersey? <laughs> Wow, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, to panic or not to panic? Hmm. 
I can really only assume that you guys wrote this question a little while ago. Would that be right? Maybe because I think maybe before this summer break, perhaps. <laughs> before this summer of hell, or as I read in the New York Times today, the end of Australia as we know it. Yes, for those of you who have been living under a rock for the last little while, 2019 was Australia's hottest year on record. It was a solid one and a half degree on average hotter than it's ever been before. It was, you know, together with the crippling drought that we experienced, it led to the devastating bushfires that we we all experienced. 16 million hectares of forest, a billion animals, three and a half thousand homes and 33 lives destroyed by unseasonal climate change driven fires across Australia from Tasmania to Queensland, most places in between. 80% of Australians' lives were affected either by losing your life, that's a fairly direct way of affecting your life, property, businesses, in some way, shape or form. As as my my eight-year-old son put it when I woke him up one morning, he said, bloody climate change has ruined our happy holiday. (laughs) So... You know, it's the rise of eco-anxiety, it's the demise of insurance companies, the destruction of rural tourism. Look, it's not should we panic, we are panicking. We're already panicking and it's for very darn good reasons. And I want to describe to you a few of the groups that are already panicking. Uh, And it's not the climate change activists I'm going to talk about, it's not the hippies and it's not the environmental champions. In fact, it's not even your typical... Panickers. The first group of people I want to tell you about are these five old white men. The ex-fire chiefs who made their living out of being cool and calm under pressure. You know, 50-metre walls of flames heading their way, no problem. The coolest cats in the business. You know, it's a pretty panic-lightly kind of cats that we're seeing here on the stage, but they're panicking they are. In April last year, they picked up their pens and they wrote a letter, probably the first time that they'd ever written to do anything to do with advocacy, and they wrote, we're sleepwalking towards a climate emergency. And, of course, they were right, perhaps possibly even more right than even they could have imagined. And, you know, standing in front of the media in the, in the thick of the fire crisis, behind those really impressive you know, uh, appellates and bad badges. It was like almost like an impressive, shimmering facade. Behind it was little boys, and they were panicking. They were panicking about the climate change, and they were panicking about our lack of preparedness. Even the tough guys are starting to buckle at the knees. The group that's been panicking probably the longest about climate change, and this is actually who am I? There might even be a prize if you want to yell out and and guess where I'm going with this. Largely the smuggest people on the planet. Vegan. (laughs) Good guess. People who love to make money out of everyone's deepest insecurities. (laughs) Thank you very much. Very good. People who usually see the uh, upside in adversity, you know, they see the increase in premiums, etc., And yet insurance companies really are shitting their pants and they have been for many, many years. $40 billion, apparently, is going to cost the insurance company just for this last season of bushfires. They know some facts. 
the top three risks to the global economy as per the World Economic Forum. What do you think they are? Think about it. Is it weapons of mass destruction or, you know, food crises or... <laughs> Number one, extreme weather events. Number two, failure of climate change mitigation and adaptation. Number three, natural disasters. And number four, biodiversity loss and ecosystem collapse. That's a fact. Insurance companies know this. They're feeling the pinch and they know it's not sustainable. They have a very deep appreciation of the shit that we're currently in and they really understand the length of reach of shit creek that we're currently up without a paddle. I'd imagine these on my <laughs> negative side here are probably going to start telling you to relax that, you know, in a way all of this is really pushing humanity to be its best. You know, we're going to be pushed into a corner and we're going to be thriving on the, um, on the kind of challenges that we're currently being, being uh, faced with. And, you know, all you really need to do is reach for a glass of Chardonnay and relax. But did you know that that very thing they're asking you to do is actually under threat? And this is the second group of people I want to tell you about. It's another non-traditional group of panickers. It's the wine industry. And, uh, you know, for, for the wine industry, the climate change is actually existential. It's like, you know, it's like waking up with a really terrible hangover and looking into the sun after another night of kind of industry workshopping or what have you and, and just really understanding the party's over. They've actually known it's over for quite a long time. They might have been drunk since 1965 in, in Brussels, but they actually know that they either need to start making some raisins or moving to New Zealand. And, you know, it's hard to panic when you're pissed, but believe me, they are panicking. <laughs> so let's, let's just summarise here. Who in society is not panicking? This is another guess who. So picture someone who sees a great future in Armageddon. Somebody thinks that the hotter we are, the more fires, the more ecological collapse, the greater the chance of us being lifted into the heavens to the rapture. Someone who actually might wear a cap backwards on international television and think that's acceptable. Someone who... Anyone? Holidays in Hawaii? <laughs> Somebody walks into Parliament nursing a lump of coal. Let's face it, the only people in this society right now who aren't panicking are those doofuses who are running our country. You're in great company. Good luck. <laughs> Professor Sarah Bacassi. What an uplifting start to the debate. Excellent. Before we move on to our next debater, I, I will uh, share a little bit with you from the news of the world of fossil fuels. I don't know if you saw this earlier in 2019. The US Department of Energy uh, recently started labelling their natural gas as freedom gas. The press release announced the approval of new foreign exports from fracking uh, that's taking place in Texas, and that is just great. Really, and what incredible freedom, you know, the continued upscaling of fossil fuels will give us, you know, freedom from the burden of a functioning ecosystem, emancipation from a habitable planet, and uh, release from this mortal coil that we keep shuffling on. Uh, now, to call natural gas freedom gas is truly a manifestation of the American national spirit. Nothing says freedom like building a wall, especially one Mexico will pay for. 
a country where anything has the freedom to be what it wants. Any person can be president, impeached or not. And kofefe can be a word if it wants to be. It's the country that truly is the city on a hill, which is convenient when the sea level starts to rise. Thanks to late-stage capitalism, we can be assured that the apocalypse does come with its own marketing department, thanks to the Americans. Now, our first speaker for the affirmative, Dr Nick Brown, will tell us why all of this is fine. Nick is an award-wanting engineer. <laughs> he believes engineering has an important role to play in addressing complex global issues such as poverty and inequality. He likes to travel and compare the pipes and the weirs of the world. He also tells people he was an extra on the first Harry Potter film, but he wasn't. <laughs> Please make some noise for Dr. Nick Brown. Thank you very much, Alanta. Half uh, me. That was a pretty heavy start. Thanks, thanks, Sarah. Uh, Alanta did ask if we could sling some mud over to the opposition, but Sarah's a professor here, and I'm, I'm just a lecturer, and she promised that we could potentially work on a research paper together, so I'm going to leave that aside. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to... Yeah, it was really good, really good, really good. <laughs> if we can talk more later, that would be great. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so as Alanta's mentioned, I'm a, an engineer and I'm a, I'm a lecturer here at RMIT. It, this is, uh, you know, part of my contractual obligation. <laughs> Talking about not to panic was when I had to try and explain to my line manager why I wanted some extra time off this afternoon. But there we go. So whilst my job is mainly to stand um, in lecture halls like this and talk about stuff I know, uh, there's not normally three people standing on stage ready to sling mud uh, right bad at me, but there we go. Also, my lecture halls are never this full either, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. Look, I've, I've had lots of uh, panicky moments in my life. I graduated at the height of the global financial crisis. I couldn't get a job to pay back my student loan. Did panicking help? Absolutely not. It was my white male privilege that helped. Um, <laughs> that's where we go. So let's, let's get into this topic. As a, as a university scholar, uh, I did my research, and uh, Wikipedia says that panic causes fear so strong that it prevents reason and logical thinking. Fear is not good for us, okay? That's, that's the important thing to say here. And the big question really is, am I going to panic right here, right now? Am I just going to stand here and say nothing for the next seven minutes? My heart rate monitor is telling me that, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that might be on the cards. Am I a bit nervous? Yeah. Am I sad? No. Am I excited? Partly. Am I slightly turned on? Yeah, but that's none of your business. Look, Panic is not a good look. This isn't Sydney where looks are everything. And, and this, is, this is what I look like. Uh, this is what I sound like. For those of you who are probably forming assumptions in your mind uh, about what my traits are and what my character and my background might be based on what I appear, yep, you're probably right. Yeah, I, I, I'm British, I'm an engineer, and I am actually partly here due to logic and stoicism. If you think about it, my, my grandparents all lived through the, the, the Blitz. They lived on that spirit of keep calm and carry on, of have a, have a cup of tea and wait for this all to blow over. Um, <laughs> And, and why would we need to panic anyway? We live in Melbourne. It's like the best city in the... Well, one of the best cities in the world, top two. And it's in one of the top two hemispheres in the world as well. And, like, it's such a cool place. We've got trams that go, like, ding, ding. We have brunch DJs, people that actually play music whilst you're eating your smashed avocado. We have supermarkets that play absolute bangers. Are there... Any fans of Northcote Coles in the room? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The only place to be, yeah. On the checkout aisle, listening to Sam, yeah. North, North, North Coles, yeah, North Northcote Plaza. 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I appreciate that the world's not in a great shape. After Brexit, me and my American wife were in the US. We thought the world would learn a lesson from that. Trump got elected. We moved to Australia. We finally thought, okay, that was strike one, strike two. Third time's a charm. There's no way anyone's going to vote in a coal-loving climate skeptic uh, with worm for brains. And I obviously feel potentially like me flying away from my political dread is probably now a significant contributor to climate change. So... I, I, do pro- I do apologize for that. I, I want to go on by giving you a few case studies that might help you realize why panic is useless. If, you know, if you're like me, then, then when you get panicky, you, you don't do anything. You just seize up. As I said, like, it, it doesn't help you feel, uh, feel logical. Last week, I was at work. Just, I, I actually work in this building just upstairs, and I went for a wee, and I needed to fart. And I feel that's pretty relatable content. And as I was about to go, my, my boss walked in, and he was wanting to wash his hands, and I just froze, and I stopped peeing, and I couldn't do anything, and all I could think about was the pressure building up in my bowels as I really wanted to, to let one go, and I, I was just panicking so much that so I couldn't do anything. It just felt like two days were passing with no progress. The bloody hell scares, he was washing his hands twice with soap, come on, and it was the only the blessed relief as he slid his hands into the Dyson Airblade and the angelic 200-volt, 1,400-watt motor emitting 105 decibels of fart-covering ecstasy. Just... <laughs> but that's my point, is that panicking didn't help. Again, I guess, I guess my point is that as a, as a lecturer in engineering here, I, I'm putting forward that we need more young people training in STEM subjects. My second... <laughs> also... Also, if you have a spare $36,000, enrollments are still open for my engineering course. Anyway, sorry. Okay. Look, you know, I wanted my second story is of two engineers, myself and my dad, dealing with a situation which might inspire a lot of panic in other people. But our logical minds meant that we, we solved it and took a, took a different angle. Long story medium, my dad had very kindly set up an online profile for a government savings fund, which then, as a child, as an adult, I then had to try and withdraw the money from. A standard kind of affair that I'm sure you're all involved in. A little bit of, little bit of tax fraud, but no, it's fine. And, and when we came to, like, getting the money out, I actually had to call up the, 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 the agency, and I spent about 15 minutes on the phone trying to convince someone who I was and do all that kind of stuff. Because my dad, whilst he'd set up the profile for me, he neglected to write down the password or any of the security questions. And so... Basically, we were in the situation where we had five security questions to answer. We could, couldn't get any wrong. We were allowed one pass. It's a pretty high-stress situation, right, to release the money. This is the big, this is the jackpot round, right? This is where we go for, go for big money. I was doing well. Two questions in, two questions right. We're on to question number three. Mr. Brown, what's the name of your firstborn child? Now, I don't have any kids. And I look at my dad, who's set up the questions, and he just shrugs. His, his eyes go a bit wide. Uh, he's trying to communicate so many things with me, but yet he's not saying anything. Look, if I'd panicked, I just would have probably blurted out the first name, which the name of my cat or something, and we would have lost the money. Um, I, I could have thought and said, like, my name, because I thought, oh, well, my dad set it up, and therefore if he might have said, like, me as the, his eldest child. But I was a bit worried that he potentially could have tried to, like, preempt the name of his first grandchild or something like that. And again, we would have been locked out of the... We would have been walking around uh, empty-handed. I stared at my dad. He was on his knees. He was pulling his hair. He was desperately trying to think. He wasn't panicking. He was crying, but he wasn't panicking. <laughs> and that's the important thing. What did I do? Cool as a a cucumber. Pass. That's right. 
I passed on the name of my firstborn child. <laughs> and it worked. We got answered the other two questions. We sat down, we had a cup of tea, and you know, we enjoyed the afternoon. I did have a third case study, which was in 2005 when I accidentally left what looked under x-ray like a pipe bomb at the security area of Gatwick Airport, almost leading to a mass evacuation and arrest under the Terrorism Act, but I genuinely, it is too soon. It is too soon, <laughs> and I genuinely do sometimes wake up at night uh, in, a, in a sweat about it, and my heart rate monitor, yep, 119. <laughs> Seriously, that is the genuine... Oh, okay, sorry. I'm gonna, I've got my inhaler just in case. Okay, so... What I'm saying is panic is for preppers and pessimists. And I don't want to eat canned food for the rest of my life. If we panic, we're all going to need therapists, and then those therapists will need therapists, and we're just, everyone in the world will just end up being a therapist, and no one's going to get anything done. It's just going to be a circle jerk of panic and misery, okay? <laughs> if we panic, then the end of the world is just going to be two therapists, like, floating away in a massive flood. And no one wants that, Okay. I think that not only should we not panic, but we should ban panicking. Make it illegal. Make, like, I say, everyone gets one panic a year, or you're allowed to panic in, in certain situations. I've, I've started a list. Here we go. These are the, from now on, these are the only times you're allowed to panic. Number one, being in a toilet stall with a broken lock and legs too short to reach the door. <laughs> Number two, being on an aeroplane with the whole roll to yourself while the last passenger, the bastard, starts making eyes towards you and walks down the row. Um, number three, when you notice, please turn over leaf too late on an exam question. When you get into a cafe and there's a brunch DJ setting up. When you send a text to the subject of the text. Um, when your hairdresser says oops. When, when your dentist says oops. When your gynecologist says oops. And when you realise too late that there's no more loo roll in the cupboard. Actually, I want to strike that last one off. Innovations are helping us out. Is there anyone who uses the Who Gives a Crap? Yeah, of course there are. It's the Sustainable Living Festival. Of course it is. Anyway, they have started to introduce that red roll. We all love the red roll, right? Hey, this is the emergency roll. When you're down to this emergency roll, you need to, you need to reorder. Um, that's it. You must always heed the warning of the red roll. That would be my other law that I came in. Anyway, I've... I've run out of time for the rest of my argument, so I guess my main point is let's just have a cup of tea and wait for this all to blow over. <laughs> Dr. Nick Brown. When I started this debate series, I never anticipated the words fart-covering ecstasy being used on stage but the world is full of surprises, and that's a reason to get up in the morning. So thank you, Nick. Uh, interesting approach, uh, listing all the times we should panic to demonstrate why we shouldn't. That's, that's fine. We'll see where that goes with the rest of the team. Uh, before we move on to our next debater, I wanted to share some more science news with you. Um, this week, researchers revealed that the paleo diet the food that was consumed by our predecessors four to 6,000 years ago contains toxic levels of heavy metals. So the fish consumed by humans in Norway during the Paleolithic era was very high in levels of lead and cadmium, which means today, if you are one of the health nuts following the paleo diet, to really do it justice with your nuts and seeds, you should also suck on a AA battery. What effects uh, did the metals have on the Paleolithic ancestors? We can only wonder. Researchers say they can't, be, uh, they can't know for sure, but it could be linked to the upscale of the sales in diet water 
activated charcoal and activated Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> of course, many people eat the paleo diet because they believe it is the most natural diet that we could eat. And we know that nature is best. I mean, our paleo ancestors were living their natural best lives, shagging and being shagged, contracting typhoid shortly before dying in childbirth at the age of 19. Before the vices of language, literature, democracy and the concept of consent really paved the way for the decline of our species. I've often wondered why health nuts have decided that the paleo era was the most natural era for our diet. Like, you know, I don't think it reaches far enough back. You know, like the paleo people, they had tools. That's so unnatural. I mean... Yeah, I think we really lost our way as a life form when we moved away from a diet of plankton and rotting vegetation. Surely the real natural diet is what we ate before we got out of the ocean, the primordial soup diet. Our next speaker is a huge fan of soup. It is Rowan Long. I don't fact check every part of this show, I'll be honest. Rowan is a curator at the Harry Brooks Allen Museum of Anatomy and Pathology at the University of Melbourne. He's a zoologist, he's a birder, a writer and a regular on ABC Radio talking about mystery ducks with David Astle. I'm so happy he's back. Welcome Rowan Long. Good evening. Am I loud? I'm going to get loud. I want to sort of get my distance right here. Good evening. To panic or not to panic? I suspect most people here, I know all of us have probably already thought about this well before we started uh, thinking about this debate, maybe not in those words, but I think all of us have been thinking about it. I know that I've been contemplating this, I've been concentrating, I've been reflecting uh, about this very sort of uh, considered meditative sort of stuff and I have come to the very measured conclusion that I am pissed off. I am pissed off because the entire country was in flames for months and our political class did less than nothing about it. I am pissed off because billions of native animals, or maybe over a billion, whatever, who knows? We're going to find out later when they count up all the insects. Over a billion animals died in that unprecedented fire season. But I'm mostly pissed off because due to an unfortunate autocorrect typo, I spent the last two weeks researching whether or not we should picnic in the face of the climate change disaster. (laughs) I think I can probably salvage... No, I can't salvage that stuff. Um, But you know what's not going to be a picnic? The remainder of our lives inhabiting a planet that's experiencing decades and decades of unchecked climate change. So should we panic? What do you think? Oh, I don't know. Uh, The ice caps are melting. There's a global resurgence in actual Nazis. The insect populations have crashed. Up until recently, the entire country was on fire. We are living in the darkest timeline. This is the bad place. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I do not feel fine. So let's panic. Now, I thought Nick put forward some points. I liked, <laughs> I liked hearing him speak. Nothing says we're not panicking, like suggesting that we force the population to not panic. That was good. But I just I didn't really believe a lot of the arguments. Maybe I've been too influenced by The Simpsons, but I simply can't bring myself to accept the claims of somebody named Dr. Nick. Now, I'm sure that someone on this side of the, of, the, of the aisle is going to point out that, you know, that some people, there are things happening, there are good things happening. We're going to be putting forward quite a pessimistic view. Yes, presumably somewhere out there in the world, they're doing good things. But 
I just I don't think the actions of individual countries, of those few countries that are doing things, are going to stop decades of just hoping the problem's going to go away by itself on a global scale. This shit is planetary, okay? Now what? You, 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 I hear what? That, that New Zealand are doing... New Zealand, they're doing good things? Yeah, they're going to do meaningful stuff with climate change? Who cares? You know it's about a thousand times bigger than New Zealand, uh, both in terms of area and cultural impact? The Pacific Ocean Garbage Patch which is probably catching on fire while I speak due to an unholy combination of built-up methane fumes and discarded cigarette lighters. So let's panic. And anyway, even if there are some small pockets of the planet where they're doing something, as Australians, uh, where our national plan uh, has always been uh, and always will be to do... nothing, we really need to panic... Australia is home to a unique retrograde form of extreme climate change denialism that's extinct almost everywhere else in the world. It's a phenomenon kind of like how we uh, have marsupials, but instead of having pouches, these ones have shit ideas <laughs> and a seemingly limitless you know, access to our major media outlets. What is it about Australia that makes us such a bafflingly persistent geocultural refuge for retrogressive ideas, like uh, the White Australia policy or pink concert tours? I don't know. To contrast with our dismal state of affairs, I want to point out uh, something that has been recently said by uh, Conservative UK PM Boris Johnson. Not exactly a woke progressive greenie, but what Johnson recently uh, said, he pledged to phase out all fossil-fuelled cars in the UK by the year 2035. Now, please refer to my, my previous comment about how the planet's kind of booked in for an apocalypse appointment we can't really reschedule at this point. But what I want to say is, as Australians, can you imagine, even in our wildest dreams, a politician in Australia from either major party making a, a comment even remotely similar to that? It's just, it's unimaginable. Can you imagine Scott Morrison? Can you imagine Scott Morrison standing up in Parliament? He's, he puts down his piece of coal first, standing up in, in Parliament and saying something like that. Scott Morrison. Australia's answer to the question, I wonder what it would be like if they cast Koshi as a Captain Planet villain. That's Scott Morrison. <laughs> No, that, there's our answer right there. This country is more cooked than a chlamydia-riddled koala trying to outrun a bushfire front. So let's panic. Now, I'd like to make a brief aside, if you'll indulge me, just a little parenthetical aside. Do you want to know my favourite thing about the melting of the ice caps? And there are many. The, unprecedented, the widespread melting of the ice caps is revealing an unprecedented number of woolly mammoth carcasses previously mummified in the permafrost. It's like some kind of fucking Viking prophecy. <laughs> Mammoths are rising again. These previously dormant sentinels of the tundra are returning from the grave to send a dire warning message to humanity. If fields of mammoth skulls slowly emerging from the ground, their empty sockets gazing at you with ancient, righteous indignation, if that doesn't incite panic in you, what the hell will? Now, what I'd like to do now is pivot a little bit tonally and go to my bit where I pretend to be a little bit sincere and try and be a bit poignant in the hope that I'll endear you to myself or my argument. Just before New Year's last year, there were serious bushfires near my house in Plenty Gorge. Not as bad as the Gippsland bushfires, but bad enough. My family and I had just gone out to the shops and while we were there, we got an alert on our phones from the emergency services app telling us that we shouldn't go home, that it was not safe to go home. Now, I'm not saying we live in a dystopia, but does anyone else have a little app on their little pocket computer that tells them if they're in imminent danger of being consumed by catastrophic bushfire? <laughs> so, some people do, yeah. I also have an app which tells me if the air is safe to breathe. So that's fun. We hid out at my in-law's place for a day. That's all it was. You know, we got in the car, 
We drove to the shops, we drove to my in-laws. That's not a dramatic thing to happen, but the whole thing had this sort of dreamlike quality to it. And it was very, it was a moment where I had a real realization that climate change has real consequences to me as a person. It's not an abstract concept, it's really affecting me. But it wasn't those fires themselves that put me into a state of panic. I am in a state of panic. I'm panicking now. I've been panicking for a long time. I'm not just doing this for the debate. I am actually freaking the fuck out. But it wasn't the fires that did that. It was the reaction of our Prime Minister and our government that made me panic. This was when I realised, this is when all of us realised that there is no tragedy so severe, so obviously influenced by climate change that it would shake Australian politicians into action. This was when it became clear that the Australian government has been so thoroughly bought by the fossil fuel industry that the people in control of this country would rather watch us burn than even make the slightest changes to business as usual. So let's panic. In an insane world, panic is the only sane response. Thank you. Rowan Long. Going to keep the debate moving along and announce our second negative speaker. Vidya Rajan is a writer. She is a comedian. She's a performance maker working mainly in theatre and television. She is a current writer in residence at the Malt House and has recently been involved with Screen Australia, ABC Comedy, Theatre Works, Art, Arts House, and yet another man who quotes The Simpsons in lieu of a personality. I'm assuming it's not Rowan. We'll leave that there. Her Melbourne International Comedy Festival show Nemesis with Alistair Baldwin, who is sitting there, is described as the work of two of Australia's most existing and moisturised comedians. <laughs> where they... <laughs> it wasn't taken, that's for sure. Uh, where they draft and redraft a piece of content for over an hour. It sounds excruciating and I plan to be among the first people to see it. Please welcome to the stage, Vidya Rajan. Boss and I've been a trillis. I'm a bigger problem when I click with Sprillis. Murder on my mind, it's time to pray to God. My revolver's not religious, the revolution's born. Um, I love that song. Wow, wow. First of all, I just want to say it is such an honour to be invited to this science and comedy debate. Like there are so many talented and smart people in this room and speaking on this stage today and honestly, it's a lot. <laughs> when I was invited, I was like, me? Look, I know I am followed by approximately 600k people on a variety of platforms and growing. <laughs> And yes, some people do see me as a clothing sustainability icon. Um, nothing I own or wear today or any time is something I've ever bought. Everything I wear has been sponsored or gifted to me by exciting and desperate local designers. And yes, I have curated, synthesized, monetized, and subsequently sold multiple meme-spiration accounts to some very hungry and occasionally horny advertisers. I'm a meme... Entrepreneur, And these are all things that I have done, I know that, but it's still super intimidating to be on this stage with these people. And in a debate, no less, I mean, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm a content creator, not a content destroyer. 
And if you think about it, content destruction is kind of the essence of a debate. So I was like, what could I possibly offer today? But then I was told about the topic of this debate and I was like, you know what? Climate change is real and it's here. And the memespiration community has a responsibility <laughs> to engage with it. Like, it affects all of us, that's not in dispute. Like, it's not just some far-off island sinking and, like, some far-off resource wars. It's closer to home as well. Like, here in Australia, this summer, this summer, the price of imported Korean skincare masks skyrocketed because snails in Korea were dying. Snail slime is, of course, the key ingredient of the masks. Dying due to global warming. If this isn't an issue that affects us all, I don't know what is. <laughs> But when I accepted this invite, I also felt like, yes, I have something real to contribute here on the side of the negative, even though I am all about pos vibes. <laughs> on that note, I know it's a tradition in a debate to destroy the content of the person who just spoke before you, but not only is that, like, not my brand, but if I can be real, I was just really distracted by your look. <laughs> like, it was, it was, like, so 2016... Brooklyn dude who like owns a home brewery kit they never use and like buys like bird related shirts like to make up for their personality or something I don't know and like because of that I couldn't actually hear anything you said um I'm like I'm sure you said some good things but the medium is the message and the message you were broadcasting was like why <laughs> Anyway, back to what I was talking about. Even though I'm all about pos vibes, as I said, even though I'm all about pos vibes, I felt like I actually could contribute something in the negative because the topic is to not panic. And two negatives make a positive. So it's still on brand. But I also felt I could contribute because I have seen firsthand how panicking completely destroys people's and hopes and dreams. So, those of you who already follow me on my stories will know what I am talking about. I'm talking about my ex-best friend, Jessica Lively. Now, Jessica and I, along with some total goddesses slash business associates, were once co-owners of one of the most up-and-coming memespiration pages on the internet, big girl boss memes for incredibly anxious teens. <laughs> and if you haven't heard of it, it's only because we had to unfortunately shut down the page before it had reached its maximum vibe quotient and yield potential. And why did we have to do that? Because of Jessica. See, Jessica had started to change. She'd stopped attending our daily squad loving kindness meditation sessions and she'd started to spend a lot of time worrying about what she was going to do in the future. She'd become, in other words, a really panicky person. And panic did a lot of things to Jessica. First, it showed up on her face. <laughs> a few weeks after her official diagnosis with full-blown hot girl panic disorder, we noticed that she was starting to look a lot worse. She really would not have passed for a day younger than 28, which was her actual age at the time. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Apart from that, she'd also started to be like super frozen and passive and unfocused and really started to mess up her turns on the page's posting schedule. So that really sucked. Then Jessica started to become really territorial about like whenever she'd come up with a new meme format. 
we'd have to be like, come on, Jessica, is this or is this not a hot collab? Can you share it around so you can maximise it as the algorithm suggests? But she just didn't want to. And you know what? Who was hurt at the most at the end of all this? It was Jessica. Yes, the page collapsed before its time, but also Jessica became an outcast. Like, nobody wanted to work with her anymore, and when she tried to branch out on her own, the quality of work was just not there. And, you know, my situation with Jessica is, like, scarily similar to the climate change crisis. (laughs) Like... Even the most basic bitch here knows that to solve the climate change crisis, we have to come together as a community and take firm, decisive actions, right? But, like, when you panic, as any doctor or evolutionary scientist or content creator what their salt will tell you, your system totally shuts down. You freeze and you start to view others as your enemies and you begin to hold on to your own, like, dumb beliefs and resources and memes. You miss out on so many hot collabs and future content drops. And every researcher I know is saying that climate change anxiety is actually a huge problem now and it's actually preventing action from occurring because we don't really come together anymore. And while Jessica's panics was while well, Jessica's panic was less about the future of the planet and more about the future of her trust fund because her mum ran off with a hypermobile European clown she met at a fringe festival donors meet and greet. <laughs> the end result is the same. If we don't stop panicking and turn that panic into useful emotions, we're never going to be able to save the world, and you'll never be able to return to your friendship group or squad again. No amount of Aesop gift baskets will make us take you back, Jessica. (laughs) And also, you know, I'm just going to quickly share a secret that I only usually divulge on my two-day meme-spiration retreats that I teach people to make joyful content at. All materials provided, food not included. The secret is this. Every failure is an opportunity for new life. Out of the destruction of old content comes new content. If I had let the failure of that meme page with Jessica send me into a panic, if I had not immediately signed up for a transcendental meditation TM session, you get an individualized mantra um, and it's only like $1,200, so it's a real bargain. If I had not done that, and if I had not recognised that the page that had died was just a bad vibe and an opportunity for better things and more specialised and imaginative content awaited me, I would never have gone on to create my empire of meme-spiration pages today. Like, just imagine a world without my pages, just single horse girl things, or sweet baby thoughts who love to think, or astrological ass memes for adult consensual queens. I don't even want to think of what that world would look like. Without these reinventions, I would never have been able to inspire my 600k and growing followers to engage in activism. I mean, I haven't strictly done that yet, but it's on my list for this year. (laughs) Look, what I'm trying to say is, even if we're super fucked and we can't turn back the clock, there's no point in panicking. Mother Earth is the original content queen. No substitutes accepted. And she will rise again. And if we're giving her bad vibes and we need to be deactivated, if we're the Jessica of this relationship, that's sometimes what you've got to accept. That's how better content or species will be born. (laughs) And true creators know that to be humble about that and to respect it and take joy in it. Also, as my transcendental meditation guru said to me, Vidya, how you're remembered is up to you now. Will that be cash or savings? (laughs) And, you know, he made a really good point. Because, like, dinosaurs. How do we remember dinosaurs? 
Like, when I think of a dinosaur, I think of a T-Rex, like, running around with those, like, waving hands, all scaly and unmoisturised, freaking out about an asteroid or something. But I only just found out last week that these dinosaurs were originally covered completely in feathers. Like, what? They actually look super cute and were super ahead of trend. FYI, feathers are going to be huge soon. Second speaker, you may want to get on that. Might help. <laughs> Anyway, just imagine if these Jurassic losers had chilled the fuck out and spent some time documenting their looks, maybe we would be remembering them as aesthetic pioneers who look chill and luxe and hot as fuck. <laughs> and not as some crazy-eyed, panicky monsters. And when it comes to it, isn't that how we would want to be remembered if we're going out? I mean, I'm looking at this photo I took of all of you earlier, and... Some of us aren't going to be remembered as chill, as hot, <laughs> as fuck. But don't panic about that. I'm here to help you. You can... Oh, actually, you can't attend one of my meme-spiration retreats. Those days are behind me. Most of our retreat partners were in rural New South Wales. And, you know, they have a lot of expenses right now, so they can't really import the skincare masks either. And what's a retreat without that? But I am going to be hosting a seminar coming up that I can help you find that joy again. So if you're going to, you know, die, you can go out hot. It is called Nemesis. Some people call it a comedy festival show, but it's also a seminar um, at the Malthouse Theatre from the 7th to 19th of April with one of Australia's most existing comedians, Alastair Baldwin, will also be there. <laughs> Tickets are available on the comedy festival website. So like to see you there for a good time. Don't just do it for the good time, though. Do it for the good of the planet. Bitcha, Rajan! We are up to our final speaker for the affirmative. Alistair might have some things to say in response to Vidja's ad. Um... <laughs> Alistair has written for ABC's Get Kraken, The Weekly and Hard Quiz. Uh, as a teen, he briefly undertook an internship with CSIRO before realising he didn't have the wrists for a life of pipetting. <laughs> so gave up and just wrote a script about killer mushrooms in a, set in a CSIRO lab instead. His Year 12 debate team made it to the West Australian Debating League finals. If you ever watch Glee, it's like making it to regionals. Please make some noise for Alistair Baldwin! Hello, fans, current and future. I'm Alastair Baldwin, and tonight I will be the third speaker for the affirmative, or as I refer to it in my high school debate team, headliner. <laughs> now, as third speaker, it's my job to help sum up the case of the affirmative with a series of emotive and persuasive closing remarks. So apologies in advance if I occasionally drop into the southern drawl of a simple country lawyer asking you, the jury, not to vote with your heads, but with your hearts. <laughs> but before I reiterate the previous points made by my fellow members of what many critics are calling the correct team, <laughs> I would like to rebut some of the points made by the team many critics are calling nothing because they've made such minimal impression on tonight's discourse. <laughs> Nick, so you graduated at the height of the GFC. 
Causation or correlation, nobody knows. <laughs> Nick himself admitted that one of the things that makes this city great are brunch DJs. I myself am a brunch DJ. And I am on the affirmative team. Ipso facto transitive property. You're kind of fighting for us, mate. <laughs> Nick admits that he farts, something that I would never do. <laughs> Nick says that more young people should enter STEM, whereas I think there should be Coca-Cola in the drink fountains. <laughs> and then finally... At the end of his speech, it became quite apparent that it was all some long spawn con for who gives a crap the toilet paper brand, <laughs> showing a complete lack of respect for my existing brand ambassador role for who gives a crap, disgusting and cruel. Now, in my high school team, we were always strongly discouraged from making ad hominem attacks. That is, attacks to the person. And I do stand by that to this day. However, the implication that I could make an ad hominem attack on my nemesis, Vidya, relies on the tacit acceptance of her actually having personhood. Something I cannot in good faith condone. <laughs> Such is her deceptive, deceptiveness in tonight's debate that I would liken her more to a stick insect or a cuttlefish camouflaging itself as coral than a quote-unquote person. It's demonstrably clear that she is using tonight's debate as simply another platform to promote our upcoming comedy festival show <laughs> Nemesis, playing at the Malthouse Theatre from the 7th to the 19th of April at 9.30, 8.30 on Sundays. <laughs> Indeed, so desperate is Vidya's attempt to turn this important debate into a promotional opportunity that she intentionally wore the same outfit as she did in our event poster, something which I've only done by accident. <laughs> Furthermore, by baiting me with her craven hypocrisy tonight, She's made me devote a large chunk of my rebuttal on her, entrapping me into providing what some could interpret as a preview of the delightfully antagonistic back and forth <laughs> you can expect to see at our show Nemesis, showing from the 7th to the 19th of April at Mondhouse Theatre, to a crowd of potential ticket buyers. It makes me sick. As I seamlessly transition back to my own arguments. I would like to point out how, in many ways, the affirmative team has the only truly objective speaker on tonight's topic, me. <laughs> As you can tell by my sexy leg braces, I was conceived too close to a lightning storm and consequently was born with a degenerative muscle illness. I'm dead by 40 regardless of what we do in this climate emergency and personally couldn't care less if it's by a heart attack 
or Mother Gaia nerfing me with a freak tsunami or miscellaneous. So when I say that we should panic, I'm saying that I'm not saying that as someone with a dog in this race, but as the beautiful human metaphor for Earth's impending doom that I am. Not only does this make me the most rational speaker tonight, it also means you should feel a bit sad for me and maybe just give me the win out of like pity. <laughs> We've heard a lot tonight about what will happen in the near future if we don't panic. But I also want to talk about something panic-worthy that's happening right now. To show you, I want to conduct a little experiment, if I may. How many followers on Instagram do you have? Uh, yeah, to the nearest hundred. Three. <laughs> Three. Uh, yourself? May I ask you? Wonderful. These are good, normal numbers <laughs> for an Instagram account. However, just today I came across an Instagram account with 9.9 million followers. Anyone care to hazard a guess whose account it was? Really, can you guess? I've realised I've never said her surname out loud and I'm scared I might fuck it up. Never mind, it's Greta Thunberg. While myself and the negative may disagree on whether, let's say, coal is a renewable resource or not, I'm sure we can all agree that Instagram followers are a non-renewable resource. While the climate emergency is allowed to continue unaddressed, while the negative rests on their laurels about it, Greta Thunberg is continuing to amass millions upon millions of followers while, no offence, this guy's left to subsist on just like 300. <laughs> it's really sad. Let me say it in simpler terms. We need to panic about the climate emergency because Greta Thunberg is becoming too powerful. It is unsustainable for a few individuals to hoard the majority of Earth's followers while others suffer. It'd be like if a few individuals were hoarding enough money to fix climate change, but they just kept it to themselves out of greed. How fucked up would that be? That's what Greta is doing. She's taking up all the followers. She's the reason I can't seem to break a thousand, and I find it galling no one seems to care. Me, me, attention, me, please. In summary, I'd like to outline the case of the affirmative. We heard up top about how everyone already is panicking. It's not a question of if, but who. And it's the people who should be most desensitised to panicking that have been pushed into panic mode. Firefighters, insurance breakers, people who are drunk all the time. Thank you. Good night. Alistair Baldwin. So much to reflect on. We're up to our final debater for this evening. How, how do you feel about that? So it's very mixed. Uh, some people are very happy to be out of here very shortly. And some of you are sad, either about the state of the planet or the end of the debate. I can't tell, possibly both. Our final debater for the negative tonight is Joshua Ladgrove. He, he sent this to me. Josh is Australia's 27th best comedian, according to a recent Nielsen poll, which places him significantly higher than Scott Morrison as preferred PM on a two-party preferred basis. Uh, he is tall and charming and surprisingly handsome in person. 
Joshua will be a hit at any children's party. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop letting people write their own bios. I'm taking over. Josh is famed in Melbourne comedy circles for his hit show, Come Heckle Jesus, where he stood on a stage as Jesus and asked the audience to heckle him. <laughs> I was there opening night and someone spoils the final of Breaking Bad to an entire room of comedians. There was a stampede. Uh, He's returning to Melbourne Comedy Festival with the Joshua Ladgrove show, which no one knows what it will be about. I am stoked to have him here tonight. Make some noise for Joshua Ladgrove! Does this come out? No? Okay. I feel constrained by the lectern, so I might. Is this working? (laughs) Can you hear me? Fantastic. That's better, isn't it? Welcome, and before I begin, I'm methodically picking apart the arguments by uh, that mob. I'd like to uh, thank Atlanta. I think you've uh, done a marvellous job. Uh, Yeah, a round of applause for Atlanta. And may I take this opportunity to uh, comment briefly uh, on what a handsome... And dare I say, erudite uh, bunch of people who have gathered here today to witness this comedy science debate. And uh, may I thank the man sitting in the blue polo with his arms folded in the international symbol of comedic approval. That's a very, very positive vote of body language there, sir. Thank you. Excellent. You look like you've voted liberal at least once in your life. No, you're all right, you're all right. Come on, we're just having a bit of fun, isn't it? So, uh, is there anyone, before I begin, is there anyone under the age of 18 in the audience? Is it, oh yes, oh, a few, okay, a couple. What about you, yeah, what's what's your name there, young lad? Ralph? 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 R-A-F-F, fantastic, good on you, Raph. It's, uh, oh God, you're almost a... uh, Almost a component of our defence force. <laughs> All right. Now, Raf, h- how old are you, if, if you don't mind my asking? It's not a creepy sort of St. Kevin's question. It's just a... <laughs> h- how old are you there, Raf? 13. All right. So, Raf, you- you've probably heard some rude words, in, you know, in the schoolyard when you're playing hopscotch and whatnot. <laughs> you've probably heard the word poo. <laughs> probably heard the word bum. So just brace yourself, because tonight I'm probably going to say fuck and shit and cunt a couple of times, all right? So I don't want any shit out of you just because you're 13. Okay. All right. Oh, too loud. Okay. I grew up in Werribee. Where, don't make noises at me. Don't patronise me. Don't patronise me. The fact I'm on this stage means I've overcome my circumstances. I'm, I'm absolutely fine. Single mother, meth addict brother, I'm doing better than most of you. Not doing better than you. You sneakily ate a whole souvlaki. I saw it. I saw it. A burrito. You didn't panic, isn't it? You didn't panic? You didn't think, God, I'm going to fill this poorly air-conditioned theatre with onion smell. You just thought, fuck it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat the burrito. Come what may, come 
What? May? Come? What? May? Say it with me. Come? What? May? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Come? What? May? It's not going anywhere. It's just fun to get you to repeat three-word slogans. Oh, the power of a politician. In rebuttal to the first speaker of the affirmative, as if. <laughs> I'll join my team if you don't mind. I'll, I'll sit on the end. In rebuttal to the second speaker, oh, sorry. In rebuttal to the second speaker, knock knock. Bird shirt. Full stop. <laughs> Look, it's a nice shirt, but no one can take a man wearing a bird shirt seriously. And in rebuttal to the third speaker, so intrigued was I by the first portion of your speech that I took the time to take a toilet break. <laughs> Panic! Panic, ladies and gentlemen. P. A-N-I-C. Up in the control room, can I get the lights out? Can I get a blackout? Full blackout. Everyone stay calm. Thank you. Oh, yes, 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 the spotlight. Now, let's leave it on this. This feels good. This feels powerful. Panic! What does it stand for? What does it mean, this word panic? P stands for precisely, we ought not panic. Okay. <laughs> A stands for, ah, best we not panic. N stands for, no, we shouldn't panic. I stands for, I won't panic. And C, cunts. Okay. <laughs> and what, ladies and gentlemen? What, ladies and gentlemen? Wrath. What, I beseech thee, is the antithesis to panic? Logic. Logic, ladies and gentlemen. Logic is the key that will unshackle us from the tyranny of panic. Why are you leaving now? This is like, this is a good, solid, improvised bit. Chase after. <laughs> no one leaves mid-speech, I tell you that. God, she got... come, come on, come, but where are you going? You can't leave now. She's back. Okay. She had to wee. She'll be back. And... Now I know how that feels, and I'd like to personally apologise. <laughs> but logic is the antithesis of panic. And what does logic stand for? What does logic stand for? L. <laughs> Let's not panic. Oh. Oh. We don't have to panic? G. Hey, Greg, 
Don't panic. <laughs> I, I won't panic. And C, <laughs> Raf, I'm sure you can join the dots. <laughs> Are we not scientists and engineers up on this stage? Not, oh, not, not everyone? Oh, okay, well, forget that part. Do amoeba panic? Do algorithms panic? Do the machines that will eventually replace our menial jobs in our trivial, pointless lives panic? To quote famed philosopher Michael Douglas, greed is good. That doesn't apply to this, but it's, it's fun to say. <laughs> now, I've seen quite a few of you coughing. Am I panicked? <laughs> Am I panicked? Do I run for a face mask and think, oh, gosh, maybe it's, maybe it's coronavirus? Maybe you, for all I know, bought that burrito in Wuhan. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not panicked. Sure, coughed up a little blood this morning in the shower. I'm not panicked. Could be anything. Panic is not the solution. Coldplay even wrote a song about it. It's called Don't Panic. Bones sinking like stones, all of us are done for. Everybody. No? Okay. I'm going to give you all five... How long do I have? Okay. I'm going to give you all five... Approximately five scenarios. And you tell me whether or not you think you should panic. Did anyone hear a beep? I'm not panicked. I'm just curious. Okay. Scenario number one, Chernobyl reactor number four exceeds its safe operating threshold. Do we panic? Yes. <laughs> or, or, do we get Sergey to get a bit of duct tape and go fix that shit up forthwith? Scenario number three. Tram erection. That's, don't worry about that one. <laughs> Scenario, Raph, forget that. It's a, it is a rude word. Scenario number five. Did I skip one? Four? Scenario number four. I'm losing a lot of you at this point. But I don't care. I'm not panicked. Scenario number four. You're directing a sketch comedy show at RMIT's Collide Theatre in 2010. You have a sketch that involves songs like She's Got Legs and Jump and a girl in a wheelchair who can't partake in these activities. A disabled person in a wheelchair comes in to watch the show. Do you panic? Do you panic? Because I did. <laughs> I shit myself. Not literally. Well, I have, but not on that occasion. What do you do? You do the sketch. You go talk to the person in the wheelchair afterwards who says, thank you for acknowledging my existence. And what lesson does that teach you? Don't panic. Have you 
Did you turn up the volume? <laughs> Don't panic. Don't panic. <clears throat> Scenario number five, wasps. Do you panic? Yeah, flying little fucking cunts. Serve no purpose. Do wasps pollinate? Oh, I'm sorry then. My broader point is, I parked in a loading zone. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I don't know, what's a ticket these days? 90 odd dollars? 190 for a loading zone. One, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Joshua Ladgrove. I'm not panicked. Fine. What we're going to do now, while you cogitate about the incredibly coherent, eloquent arguments you've heard this evening, I'm going to just ask if anyone has any gigs that they haven't already <laughs> devoted a solid seven and a half minutes out of eight to promoting. Does anyone have anything they want to show in at the... I yep. think it's really crass to promote. <laughs> Thank you, Vidya. We don't really do that, so... Yeah. I've got a lecture on, uh, yeah. <laughs> on, on Tuesday morning, <laughs> The audience are pro-lecture. Excellent. I'll, uh, I'll be eating Xiaolong Bao at Shanghai Street on the corner of Burke and Elizabeth in approximately 35 minutes. Anyone's keen to join me. Josh, did you want to tell people when and where your show is coming up? If it's a good enough show, yeah. people will find it. Okay. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. Uh, sure. I also have a, have a show. It's, it's mainly poo jokes. It's called On the Origin of Feces. <laughs> what I've learned in the endeavour to write a show about poo is that most poo jokes are funny because the poo is a surprise. And when you tell people the entire show's about poo, there's no surprises. So... <laughs> If you're up for a rollicking night of zero surprises, uh, come along and see my show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick summary of the arguments you've had placed in front of you. I'll do my very best just to, to you know, go through your memory because it's been a long night. I think we can all agree. Uh, so Sarah really kicked off the mood of the evening with the actual stats of the damages of the fire. Which were the sorts of things most of us were attempting to avoid by coming out to a comedy debate. <laughs> uh, she did, however, drop the very useful piece of information that it is hard to panic when pissed uh, and I will be drinking gin across the street in five minutes if you wish to join me in that endeavour. Um, now, Nick, uh, he, he put his career and research paper ahead of his responsibility of correcting Sarah's arguments, and that's the sort of selfish, selfish actions which are leading to the apocalypse. <laughs> then he just started listing things he likes. <laughs> includes the Northcote Coles for some reason. The North one. It's definitely the inferior Coles. I'm not having this argument again. We've, we've dedicated enough of the debate. Uh, Rowan let us know that he is pissed off, that this is the bad place, and several very cogent arguments 
about climate change denialism, which everyone has ignored for the rest of the debate in lieu of his shirt. <laughs> Vidya brought us the very important message of the impact of climate change on the memespiration community, and it was tough to hear, but we had to hear it. <laughs> so thank you, Vidya. <laughs> Alistair said some things. It was mostly ad break, and then took it out on Greta Thunberg. Josh sledged the audience, uh, which was not in the brief. <laughs> I apologise. Then he said some words to ensure that SciFi will never be invited back by RMIT <laughs> and spontaneously generated the policy that all debaters now need working with children's checks. So, <laughs> Thanks for that, Josh. Then he did an acrostic poem, which was the first and hopefully the last time we see one of those at SciFi. So... That's pretty much brings us up to now. Uh, now it's over to you. If you thought that the affirmative had the most cogent, the most well-researched, the best shirts for tonight's debate, make some noise. Birdshirt fans in. Good to see. Uh, now, if you thought that the negative brought home the argument that we should not panic, make some noise. I don't know if the not panic team just lulled you into a more relaxed, quiet state tonight, but I award the debate to the affirmative. Look at them joyfully panicking. That is brilliant. Uh, an enormous thank you to all of you for coming out and being part of this ridiculous shenanigans. Huge thanks to our... What are you doing? Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Just distracting from... It's fine. Uh, huge thank you for RMIT for making this all happen. Go and see all of the things that the Sustainable Living Festival Transitions Film Festival kicks off tomorrow night. Uh, Bob Brown will be in town for that. That'll be nice. You've been a delight. We will uh, see you next time. Good night. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening, and from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective This show is produced by Hear Media a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio. Hear